It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is Stephanie Mellish. She's an inspirational speaker, a certified business coach, works with a lot of small businesses. Uh, And Stephanie, welcome to Accelerate. Well, thank you, Andy. Thanks for having me. So take a minute, introduce yourself. I mean, tell us how you got your start in sales. I mean, people are interested to hear like your experience working with Jeffrey Gittimer and, and things you've done like that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, back when I graduated college, I was one of those people who boomeranged. Uh, so I went and moved back home and, and with my parents, uh, which they didn't like. And I got um, my first career job post-college was actually working for a nonprofit, uh, the Epilepsy Foundation of Western Ohio. So through working with nonprofits, I, I had a very big love for charity and decided after um, I was home, my brother was home. Uh, living back with my parents. We got <laughs> so you weren't there. the only boomerang. Oh, yeah. No, and he's older than me. So he boomeranged and stayed for a little while. If you're listening, I apologize. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, we're all in the home. This is back in Ohio. That's where um, I'm originally from. We got 24 inches of snow in 24 hours. And I, I, I looked at my parents and said, because it was a level three emergency, we weren't allowed to leave the house for like three days. Wow. I said, um, I think I'm going to go back to the Carolinas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I saved up and I I left Ohio again and I didn't have a job when I came down here, but I did have a roommate and I had about a month's worth of expenses and I got networked into the Charlotte community, started working for the American Diabetes Association, which was fantastic. And I loved my work as a fundraiser. And then through that, I actually met someone who I it had been admiring from afar. Her husband was one of my committee members and, and team captains for an event that I did. And I just took a chance and said, you know, she's got something about her it's somewhere. I see myself going, I'm going to ask her to coffee. And long story short, I asked her to coffee. She ended up being a previous employee of Jeffrey Gittimer. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, he's always looking for great people. I think you might be a great fit. And she coordinated the two of us. And uh, through eight months of wooing uh, on my part, Jeffrey definitely did not woo me. I would. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that happens I, um, too often. Yeah. I said, you know, I really, he, he put a, planted a seed of potential in my mind on our interview, because he asked me if I'd ever thought about speaking. And I was very young and naive. And I said, what do you mean? I I talk every day. And he said, I mean, like speaking where people pay uh, to have you come in and train and speak. And I said, Oh, my goodness, tell me more. And he just lit a fire in me, which led to the wooing process, because he didn't have an opportunity immediately for me. And then once I came on board with him, I did everything in his in his uh, workplace from selling online training, doing seminars, doing training. I became his youngest certified speaker that he has on board and just learned the business from the inside out and became kind of like his right hand by the time I was I was 
decided to depart uh, ways with him. He was a huge mentor and friend and still on great terms with him. Love him to death and his philosophies. But that got me into sales. And then when I left and went out on my own, I got certified as a business coach and continue to speak and train. I'm still certified on his content and really decided to start making more of an impact in the Charlotte area, my community, by working one-on-one with this, with other business owners and entrepreneurs, because man, the entrepreneur market is, they're everywhere. I love it. I love it. It's growing. So, so what's the biggest sales challenge facing entrepreneurs today? I think that they don't have a lot of foundation or any type of sales experience. So I got sales experience the unconventional way through fundraising. And whether you think of it as a sales position or not, which most people don't, when you're asking people to donate money to a cause and they really don't get anything back except for maybe a warm, fuzzy feeling that they've done something good or the hope that a cure is going to be found or that it's going to be used to great resources. It's a really tough sell, especially when you're trying to get corporations to, to sponsor. And so a lot of entrepreneurs that I see now don't have some type of background or industry experience where they've had to really learn what it's like to sell prior to starting their their hustle, if you will. So what are the, the challenges they're finding then? Because I'm a huge believer that, and I see this as a problem that so oftentimes with entrepreneurs is, yeah, they start a company and then the first thing they want to do is hire somebody to sell for them. And I'm always saying, no, no, you, you need to go out and sell first. You need to find out how to sell your product, your service, before you hire somebody else to do it. Because how can you teach them if you don't know? Yes. Yeah, no, and I totally agree with that. It's something, the best thing you can do is just get out there and talk with people. And I don't look at sales as a checklist or a process or a procedure. I absolutely despise sales scripts. I think they're the worst thing uh, to ever be invented. What I do believe in is being knowledgeable on your products and services, knowing your why behind them. Why are you excited about it? What does it offer? And then being able to clearly articulate and communicate that in a way that's authentic and genuine. Uh, When you are your complete self and really truly who you are, you attract the right type of people who want to do business with you. And that's the easiest way to make sales. Create great relationships, be articulate, tell them what you have to offer. And if it's a great fit, they're going to want to jump on board with you. But aren't there environments where the scripts are useful? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, that's my personal. <laughs> well, <laughs> my about, so, I mean, I, I, I've guessed that, uh, you know, run large inside sales organizations and, you know, they, they depend on playbooks and scripts for their inside sales teams. I don't believe in scripts. I do believe strongly that you can give a, a, if you will, a formula um, for how to address certain things. If it's customer service issues uh, or inside sales, if people are calling, having like, speaking nuggets or bullet points, but having word for word verbatim scripts, it is, you can tell when somebody's using one and it is a, for me personally, a complete turnoff. It makes me feel that you're not being real with me. You're not genuine. I don't, you lose that human connection with them. I want to hear your personality. I want to get to know you. I want to, I want to hear what you think about the products, not some soundbite that you've been told to say. Yeah. Well, but the soundbite could be the nuggets that you talk about. I mean, I, I think one of the problems that, that 
Because I agree. I mean, people that read word for word are close to when they're asking their yeah. questions. So it's, yeah, it's very off-putting for sure. Yeah. Um, but by the same token, you know, salespeople need to be armed with talking points. I mean, that's how they learn, right? Is bit, start using them and use them in context to understand what's important with the prospects. And, hey, I'm going to use more of this one and fewer of these because these didn't resonate, but these do. Yes, I believe in, so I'll agree with you on that one, talking points, but not, there's a big difference in that versus full-on scripted writing or scripted pitches uh, where it is, they want you to memorize a word-for-word verbatim pitch to go out and use. I think, I think figuring out how to incorporate those talking points into your own vernacular and style is much more appealing. Well, really essential, I think, if you're going to succeed. So, (laughs) so, um, if you're to sort of break that down, then and you say, okay, here we talk about scripts. We go on this thing about sales reps is, is oftentimes they sort of, they take comfort from that, uh, mm-hmm. oftentimes. So, you know, what is the most important piece of advice you'd give to a salesperson today to to rise to the challenge, to be their best, to, you know, most, sorry, I hate using the word authentic self, but it's one that's used a lot, that, that can easily build rapport with prospects? Yeah, so just really embracing who you are and where you're from, your background and your experience. I remember when I used to work for um, Jeffrey and I was selling outside sales training. Uh, So if you want to look at it as an inside sales training job, we would get leads in. And I always made a point to make sure I knew the area code that I was calling because we were it was across the country mm-hmm. and made sure just took the time to do a little bit of pre-call planning and know what area code am I calling in and using that as just a conversation starter to make them understand like oh hey you're in uh, Cleveland today uh, and if there was something recent because I love sports so I'm a sports girl if there was something recent like with uh, the Indians going to the World Series if it would have been back uh in October I could I would say something to break the ice and get in and make them feel comfortable with me and it's just knowing those things that's me being genuine Mm -hmm. to myself it's my knowledge I love I'm not acting like I love sports I truly do I grew up with a brother who played uh baseball all the way through college so I'm able to talk to the sport and with it, but just taking that little bit of time to understand who are you calling? Who are you going to meeting with doing some background research so that you can have some just authentic conversation starters before you even walk in the door and let, let the conversation naturally go from there, but at least do something small to prepare in advance. I think so often salespeople don't take that and then they're completely caught off guard uh, or they stumble over their words, especially new early salespeople. And it's just a little bit of planning can go a long way for them. Well, and I think to your point is, is that so much is being written now about how you prepare for a sales call. And you've got these tools, you've got LinkedIn, you've got social, you can track people's social footprints, mm-hmm. see what they've been engaging with online. But I know for a lot of salespeople feeling crushed and pressed for time, they're skipping that because I, I receive these calls all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, or the emails. And, you know, you raised an interesting point, which is one that, that uh, I've used, is just knowing the area code, knowing where you're calling. Yeah. As you said, if you're a sports fan, I, I'm also a sports fan. And unfortunately, 
if you're sounds like you're a Cleveland fan, we can't make fun of Cleveland sports anymore, except for the Browns. But um, <laughs> I'm actually not. I'm well, I'm from Ohio, but I'm a Cincinnati fan. So okay. the Reds right. and the Bengals, but neither of them did anything outrageously exciting this year. So no. I defaulted to. Okay. <laughs> I could have said the Cubs. Uh, I apologize. Yeah, no, that's okay. Not. <laughs> but um, but yeah, just, just as you said, something as simple as knowing the area code, and then yeah, knowing what's going on, where you're calling. If you're feeling so pressed for time, rather than doing nothing, at least take a cue from who the area code you're calling. That'll give you something you can start a conversation with, you know, something small talk that you can use to break the ice and get engaged with the person. Yeah, and it takes 2.5 seconds, really, to, to Google an area code and it pops right up. I mean, if you're even on, I think, AOL dial-up, you can still get that done in 30 seconds. So, uh. okay. I don't think anybody on AOL dial-up is listening to this conversation. but uh, Probably not. Yeah, it'd be sort of a, a very slow process. So, um, well, I wanted to ask you about something. You'd, you'd recently written an article that... that uh, I thought it was sort of interesting, and, and it, you said it. <laughs> you had sort of a mixed response because you said your unsubscribes went up four hundred percent. Oh yeah. So this oh. was. <laughs> and this you was. Have... Uh, you said you know I can. Totally was I can break my own glass ceiling. Thank you very much. Yep. Um, so what did you say that upset people? You know, I don't know what I said in there that upset people, but what well, the article was what you about. Were talking about. Yeah. yeah. So the article was all about, and it was written before the election results. So I want to make sure I put that disclaimer out there. Uh, I wrote it the day before um, election day, and I had had these really strong feelings and convictions around people who tend to be, I'm not even going to say that. What I'll say is it was about the fact that I don't need or didn't need for Hillary Clinton to become president in order for me to know and believe that I, Stephanie, as a female, can become the president of the United States. And so through that, I, the transition and the, and the lessons in there were the things that you need in order to know and understand, like, why did I believe that uh, in my background? What was it there that I had instilled in me that made me feel that I didn't need somebody to go before me and break that glass ceiling to know that I would be able to do it? Well, so it raises an interesting question is, is I've had a number of, of guests on the show that uh Talked about you know women in sales, um, you know still you know there are yeah there still are some blatant and even more subtle forms of discrimination still exercised against women in the profession, um, even from how job descriptions are written to territory allocation, commission plans, and so on. So, is are you saying is that that you know that women you know <laughs> that being a role model in those cases and and sort of being the pioneer is is not really sort of gender dependent anymore. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, my thought process on all of it was to I, I'm looking for the best candidate, and I believe. And, I, and my last point on there was that I trust that America and our nation and the majority of people in this in our country are intelligent enough not to judge somebody based on their gender. We'll we'll stick with gender in this in this case. Mm-hmm. Because, um, and saying that if anybody it. To me personally, and we don't have to talk politics, even though that no, was no, the no, base, yeah, basis talking. of this, is that um, 
if, if the idea of voting or choosing Hillary as as the president and voting for her strictly because she's a woman is to me as ridiculously sounding as somebody voting for Donald Trump simply because he's a man. Um, and so the point of it is, I don't think our country looks at things that way, but some some may do. And the idea is women at this point and what I've experienced in my own work experience and everything I write is based on my personal experience is that if you have certain things like you're encouraged, you have your own belief, you're outrageously um, connected you're to education. You've had, you've had a support system to help you. Right. Um, a support system, uh, you know, that internal self-belief, the, the connection to education, making sure that you're, you're continuously improving yourself. Cause I'm a big believer that education never stops and it's not necessarily education just within, uh, school systems or, or colleges or anything like that. And then your work ethic. I mean, if you're willing to work your, your tush off, you're, you're going to get further ahead than most people. And I don't think those things are dependent on your gender. Okay. So that, that you can be who you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that I don't need people to set precedents for me, for me to know that I can go and do it for myself. And I think everybody shouldn't think that way, or I hope they do. That was, that was my encouragement in writing that, that the only reason why there's a glass ceiling is if you put it there in your own mind to begin with. So in your experience working in sales and the, you know, you sell your own services, Mm -hmm. have you ever encountered what you thought was sort of subtle forms of discrimination because you were a woman? I, no, I don't think so. I can tell you, um, I know I had, when I, a certified speaking engagement through Jeffrey, I had a group of uh, the business owner specifically, we had somebody who secured our engagements for us. She's fantastic. And, uh, she told me that he did have a concern because it was an all male audience. How would I do in front of them? And, and Michelle, who was the person that secured that deal, very much said, listen, she can stand on her own two feet. She's very good at what she does. I wouldn't be recommending her if she couldn't handle anything to be thrown at her. And so there was maybe a slight um, curiosity there and he was a little hesitant, but they ended up hiring me and they hired me then three more times after that. So um, maybe a little bit, but then I was able, they at least still gave me a chance. So not full-on discrimination by any means, they decided, okay, I just had somebody explain to them that I'm pretty, I'm pretty tough. I can handle it. So, so I love what, it. So what advice would you give to, you know, young women who are looking at possibly getting into sales? Cause it's, it's an issue that's been identified by researchers. So there's, there's, um, yeah, it's in many industries and tech is certainly one. There's some study I read in the insurance industry, hard time attracting women to the profession. Yeah, you know, here's one that's that's sort of that's sort of at odds. You'd think that's would be kind of strange because sales, more than anything, you would think is is your success is really dependent on the work and effort and so on you put into it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, hard time attracting women into the profession, and, and part of it, you know, they've said, "Gosh, well, that's because you look know, at job descriptions. You know, they're written sort of really from a 
male perspective, right? We want extroverts, aggressives, hunters, da 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 da. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So what advice, you know, if you're mentoring a young woman who's thinking about leaving school and uh, you know after they leave school, starting a sales job, or considering yeah. whether even to apply, you know, what what guidance do you give them? Yeah. So one, one of the things that I've seen more and more with female entrepreneurs who, who are breaking out onto the scene is there is a need somewhere along the way, sales became a dirty word and it became a negative connotation in the, in this workplace. And that's why I think, um, women have a hard time associating with it. And you talked about certain things like they're aggressive, um, instead of using the word assertive, uh, hunter, like, you know, I love my camo, don't get me wrong, but, uh, it can be a little off putting. So I agree with that, but somewhere along the way, the word sales got this dirty word attached to it. And the number one thing I hear from women is that they don't want to be salesy. You know, they still think old school, like sleazy car salesman who doesn't believe that a woman knows how to walk onto a lot and be educated to know about cars Mm -hmm. and make a firm decision. And so that, and they may have had experiences with that, but I think we've come so far from that, that unless you're in it, you don't really understand that sales is not a bad thing. And the biggest misconception is that sales is a transaction type thing that you're making a transactional type exchange. And if you want to be the best at sales, it actually stems way beyond that. And it becomes a relationship driven business. And it's why you'll start to see a lot of women, um, going more towards direct sales because they're learning that sales per se is more about sharing and just telling people about things that they love and that they're excited about and encouraged about and that they want other people to have. And it's, um, in their mind, they're justifying it. But at the end of the day, it's, you're still selling, you're, you're selling a product, uh, whether it's, you know, a skincare line or a, a fitness type program or right, supplements. But you're providing or, a service that. Right. And, but it's still sales, but they don't think of it that way because it's more of, they think they're just sharing what they're doing or this opportunity that they have. Um, they've taken the sales out of it, even though it's really still there. Uh, well, so, in some in some of what you've written, you use the term, and I mean in a positive sense, use the term fixer. Um, yeah. So, is that something that? And we'll dig into, you know, the attributes that you think a, a fixer needs to have. But it's basically a salesperson. I mean, you're fixing a problem. Is what you're talking about. Yeah. And so I, my advice would be back to your, to your original question there for a a young woman who's looking to potentially grab into or or launch into sales is if, if you are excited at the potential of helping people, serving people, providing solutions, being a fixer, being a problem solver, that that's essentially what sales is. And it's all done building relationships. You know, uh, the really great sales jobs out there are ones that are dependent on you building long-term lasting relationships with other people. And if you're comfortable doing that, you're going to excel very well. And then you need other things along the way. Um, but that's the baseline of it. Sales is not scary. It, it's actually a very fun career to be a part of. 
Yeah, for, for lots of reasons. I mean, it, uh, freedom, flexibility, um, you know, ability to sort of carve your own path. I mean, your your rewards are based on on your own achievements. I mean, that's, for, I think, for everybody. I mean, that, that really is, that should be an attraction, primary attraction. Yeah. Okay, so when you're talking about the fixer, you, you've written an article about this. You're sort of using a woman as your inspiration, Olivia Pope. People uh-huh. follow Scandal, familiar with her. Um, so you think that you're, sir, you're looking at the term as I start reading as you're writing it. Secondly, actually it's somebody that's an expert, but actually more powerful than expert in terms of how they help the customer. Yeah. So if, if you're familiar with scandal, Olivia Pope is, is a former, campaign manager. So, and man, you picked all my political posts. No, um, <laughs> I don't write only about politics. I promise. Uh, she's an ex campaign manager and she now runs her own company and she is known in DC as the fixer of all problems. And so what I talk about with the attributes that I think people have when they, um, the fixer that people want to work with or who you want to be is really great things. And it goes above and beyond. It really comes down to, she's a leader. She has all these things and yes, she's fixing and she's problem solving, but she's doing it from a leadership type position, um, or mindset of she is in control, uh, and knows what's going on and the different caveats and, and opportunities in front of her. And then she creatively figures out the best way to move forward. And that's truly what I think leaders do. And they gather people around them to support them and to do those things. But you don't have to be in a leadership role in order to be a fixer. You just have leadership type qualities within you that have the ability to get other people to to follow suit. Well, yeah, I think sales is a leadership role. I mean, you have to inspire a prospect or a buyer to take a journey with you. Yeah, yes. So you'd broken down sort of six characteristics of what you thought you know, the successful leader in this role does. So let's just, I want to go through those because um, a couple of them are a little different. But one is, is you know, listen, obviously. You know, people have to listen. But a problem that exists is that people really don't listen very carefully in sales. As they're expecting to hear certain answers. This gets back to your point about being scripted, right? They're, mm-hmm. If I ask a certain question, I expect to hear a certain answer. And if I get that certain answer, then I put somebody in this niche and I assume what the next question I should ask them be without really listening to what they really saying. Yes. Yes. And listening with the intent to understand. So most times we listen while we're listening while formulating what we want to say next, right? Because we're, we're naturally selfish people Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just ingrained in us. And so taking a step back and actually pausing and listening, listening with the intent to understand. So you're really hearing what they're saying. I have <laughs> my poor husband, I use him having as an example quite frequently when I talk about different things, but there is a major difference between, um, listening and hearing, like, do you really hear me? Like, or like, you know, do you grasp what I'm saying and are you comprehending it and computing it and thinking through it? Um, 
Or are you just kind of like half listening and not really paying attention and thinking about what you want me to cook you for dinner tonight or something random like that? But I don't cook very often, so it's usually takeout. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, so listening. And uh, I had a great conversation with a woman this morning, a business owner, about how there are people that just talk all over you and they don't take the time to listen or they're just wanting to know what's next. And I think, especially with salespeople, um, when you have a lot of pressure on you to meet certain quotas or you're on limited time, you want to rush the process, but the listening is the key to sales because if you're not listening and understanding what the customer wants and what they're truly telling you, if you're not hearing them, then you're not going to go anywhere. Like you said, you're going to place them to a box and it may be the wrong box. And that's nobody wants to be in a box. Well, yeah. And then you also, to your next point is, is if you're not asking the right questions and you're not really listening, then you're not too often. You're not going to understand what their desired outcome is. I mean, too often, salespeople just want to sort of understand what do I need to do to get to the next step, as opposed to mm-hmm. understanding, yeah, what what does the customer want to have happen here as a result of this this transaction that we're going to do? Yeah, it's really knowing what's the outcome and understanding that outcome also identifies one other major thing, which is their expectations. So if you know where they're wanting to go, what is their desired outcome, then you can work backwards from that. But it also gives you an idea of what are their expectations. And if you can set expectations up front, you will save yourself a lot of pain. Uh, So often, Uh, in both personal and professional lives, we place certain expectations on people or events or things that are coming up. And we're consistently let down because those expectations were actually wrong. And or we expect too much or, or sometimes when you expect too little, then you're blown away. But making sure, especially through the sales process, that you know, what is the client's desired outcome? And what are their expectations? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and because there's certain things that will separate you from everybody else. If they expect like to be responded to no more than like, like don't allow more than 24 hours in this process to go by without responding to me, you want to know that up front because if you're not able to get back to them, you can tell somebody else to get back to them. There's all of these things that come into play and in roles when you talk about outcomes and expectations. Yeah, and I, I, I was just thinking the example that, that you were just giving us is, yeah, for me, because that's responsiveness is one of my hot buttons that I write about extensively, is, is that, uh, gosh, your, your, pro, your own personal sales process should be set up so that you can always exceed expectations. Mm-hmm. So, while I agree, you want to understand what the customer's expectations are, um, yeah, I think the most successful people are those who go into the sewing knowing and having in place their process so that, like a client I worked with, you know, they got back to every new lead that came in within 30 minutes. Well, I tell you, the customer expectations are never going to be that that fast, but it was decisive for them. So they went into every yeah. transaction having those those processes set up. So I think it's really important for entrepreneurs, uh, small businesses, when you're setting up your sales processes, think about you know, so the optimum thing you can do that even from the get-go before you ask the customer is going to exceed their expectations and keep asking and inquiring because you may find out that somebody's actually has maybe greater expectations than what you thought. But 
you know, if you sort of set that stage, it's like, we're going to do beyond what our competition does. We're going to be the mm-hmm. number one most responsive organization. Yeah, customers will reward you. Yeah, yeah. And making sure that you check in and have touch points along the way because expectations shift. And sometimes outcomes shift, like the sure. what your desired outcome is. So making sure that you're always keeping those lines of communication open and that you're not, you don't just answer ask questions at the beginning of a process or once you are closing the sale, you want to make sure that you continue beyond that because that's what creates lifelong customers who are going to rave about you. You know, there's, there's still stuff to be done after yes. they say yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. The sale doesn't stop when you get the order. It's when they get the value from it that they're investing in. Mm-hmm. And, and to um, a point you made earlier, which I think is, is absolutely right on is for, and this is something I think that people tend to be forgetful of is that the process of selling to your prospect changes them because as they learn more and more about what is possible, then yeah, their desired outcomes, as you said, could change. Yeah. So unless you're continually requalifying them and asking great questions, you're going to miss yeah. that opportunity. So yeah, it's not a one and done when it comes to qualification or identifying what their ultimate goals are. Yeah. So, Stephanie, in this last segment of the show, I've got some hypothetical questions I posed to all my guests. Or no, excuse me. Standard questions I posed to all my guests, one of which is a hypothetical scenario. Sorry. And so, we'll start with that. So, in this hypothetical scenario, you, Stephanie, have just been hired as VP of sales by a company whose sales desperately need to be turned around. They've stalled out, flatlined. CEO is anxious to hit the reset button. So, what two things could you do your first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? Fire everyone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so just messing around. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that is a fun hypothetical situation there, Andy, that you're just throwing at me. So what two things in the first week would make the biggest impact? Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I personally believe that you need to have a foundation. So I would want to spend time with uh, two different people. I want to spend time with somebody who has the best sales numbers and the person who probably has the worst sales numbers and uh, really talk with them, get to know them, create a safe place where they can trustingly really just dive and talk to me about what's working and not working. So that would be number one, talk mm-hmm. to the best sales rep and the, and the, and the least, um, the kind of person who's maybe struggling the most and get insights from them because I believe your employees are a great resource to find out what's working and not working. And then on the flip side, so those, I would want to talk to two different customers, our best customer, and I want to talk to a customer that we have recently lost and go through the same things with them. Because so often I think the, the atmosphere of not going to your customer and talking to them about what's working and not working in your sales process or in your service or what, what you're trying to accomplish they are a wealth of knowledge for you. Your customers, there's a reason they bought from you. Uh, so if you can find out what the predominant reason is, you can start duplicating things. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you find out why they're not coming back, then you can fix it. Um, but so many times people don't go and use the customer as a resource 
or they don't take the time to learn and see what are our best people doing right and what are our struggling people really struggling with so we can bring them up to the next level. Okay. All right. Good answer. Okay. So now some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. So when you, Stephanie, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Staying awake. No, 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 no. I do almost all of my prospect meetings, um, if I can, uh, face-to-face over a coffee meeting. And I believe it's a non-threatening atmosphere. It gives me a chance to really listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I, and I, um, some people may think this is crazy, but it tends to work for me. I don't talk price right out of the gate, especially with a prospect. I, I wait until later. I want to get to know them, understand what are they looking for and figure out if we're a right fit. And then I'll dive into that in a subsequent, usually, um, follow up email. Then I do that. So probably for me, um, creating that atmosphere where it's casual mm-hmm. and comfortable and inviting. And I do that through coffee. If And if they don't drink coffee, then we'll figure out something else. Okay. Who's your sales role model? Uh, Man, I think I have to say Jeffrey for that one. And I'm not just saying that because he's my mentor. I mean, I've seen him in action. And the man is just absolutely intelligent beyond belief uh, and has been such a blessing to my life. Okay. Uh, And he's just good. He's very good at what he does. One would expect, yes. So... Um, what's the one book you think every salesperson should read? Mine. <laughs> Besides your own. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, mm, did you say sales book? Does it have to be a sales book? No. Okay. Uh, I like the go giver. Um, mm-hmm. I read it several years ago and it's just, it's a great give first philosophy book. And I believe that if more people did ran their businesses and in their selves or their sales positions, whatever you want to call it, um, that way the world would be a better place. Okay. By Bob Berg. Great book. And he's been a guest yeah. on the show as well. Oh, good. Okay. So finally, what music is on your playlist these days? Taylor Swift. Taylor uh, Swift. Okay. I know. You know what? That that is. Uh, she's fantastic. If you look at her from, I mean, the music is fun and it's whatever. But as a business person, brilliant. Oh yeah, very yes, yeah. yes, very much so. Well, good. Well, Stephanie, thank you for joining us. Uh, tell people how they can find out more about you. They can uh, visit my website, which is my name.com, stephaniemelish.com. And that really houses all of my resources for you. So you can go there and you can uh, find my book. You can find a short, I do short two to three minute videos that you can find all of my blogs on there. You can find out how you can work with me, whether it's through, um, speaking engagements or as a certified business coach, but, uh, my website's going to be the best place. And then any of my social media platforms, you can find me using the same name, Stephanie Mellish. Consistency is key. So if you go and type in Stephanie Mellish on any of the platforms, you're going to be able to find my handle. Okay. All right. Well, again, Stephanie, thanks for joining us and friends. Thank you for spending the time with us. Remember to make it a habit every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success and easy way to do that is take a minute. Listen to my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Stephanie Mellish, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. 
So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.